Greetings, fellow buddies. Welcome to another episode of BuddyCast. I'm your host, Nick Sorensen. You all know that. But what you don't know is I got a new buddy on this show. His name is Elliot Hunter. He's an upcoming magician. How are you doing today? Doing well. How are we all doing out there? Doing great. Doing great. Glad to have you on the show, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Let me start by asking, how'd you get into magic? So I was about seven years old when I saw my first magician perform at the library at my hometown. And I grew up in a very small town. It's an island community of 16,000 people. So we didn't have magicians very often. So this guy came to the library and he was only about 14 or 15 years old. And he had just been named um, like an international champion of magic at the time. So I saw his show, uh, saw him perform his show, and I was very inspired. I went to the library, started reading as many books as I could, and had a couple other magicians come through the town that same year. And I kept growing my show until I did my first show at the senior center when I was in like fifth grade, the like the summer of my fifth grade year. I did a show at the senior center uh, for free, and I have a video of it somewhere, and it's hilarious. I can't watch it anymore, but it's adorable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a lot of support throughout uh, throughout the whole career. And then I realized later on that that first magician that I saw had the same teacher that I do now. And that's how I heard about Jeff McBride. Mm. Yeah. So, so that's it. It's kind of a great story on how I, how I got started like that. And uh, mm -hmm. it all kind of came full circle now. Nice. You mentioned Jeff McBride. I understand mm -hmm. that you went to his school. I did. So I've been studying with Jeff McBride for about 10 years now. And I went to my first master class when I was 12 years old. And um, I, then he's taken me on as one of his private students. And recently I was, uh, I've been acting as a part-time instructor at the magic school for helping teach some of the manipulation and skill magic classes. Nice. That's what I was about to ask next. Uh, what magic do you like specialize in? Is there something yeah. you lean towards or? Is there yeah, like my, favorite, my favorite style of magic to perform is sleight of hand. And sleight of hand performed on stage using cards and billiard balls and um, rings as well. And, um, and things that take a lot of skill and a lot of practice because it's something that I've put a lot of work into growing up and something that really got me into magic. I saw uh, Jeff perform his card act and was super inspired by that, that I decided to get his teaching videos and learn it for myself. So it was uh, really important and kind of a really inspiring trip to be able to perform that now as part of my show. But as I've evolved as an entertainer, I've kind of realized the importance of being able to use the skill side of hand to share a story that the audience cares about. Because you can be up there, especially on the Zoom format doing virtual shows, you can be here showing off all the skill that you want, but it's being able to make that personable connection with somebody that makes uh, your show and your experience so entertaining for somebody else. Nice, nice. Now, you mentioned like storytelling or all that stuff. Are there certain elements that you like to add into your show, like comedy, drama, suspense, just things to make it more of a performance, like you mentioned? Yeah, so I, I have a full evening theater show that I will perform for colleges and fundraisers, and uh, we usually put together a summer tour to do that. And in a show that long, you need to script it just like a movie would be scripted. You start really high, and then you drop down to a personable moment, and you have these kind of story, this whole storytelling arc, creating highs and lows to make it an interesting and dynamic experience for the audience. So spending a few minutes on an upbeat piece of music, then maybe sitting down and telling a small story, then going to a massive stage illusion. So it's so important to be able to create this dynamic range in your show to be able to tell a story, A, to maintain an audience's attention for 75 minutes in 
this technology driven day and age where you can look up anything on your phone. <laughs> you know, it's so important to be able to keep their engagement in the show and create these highs and lows, but also be able to use your show as kind of a storytelling method and use the templates that have already been created and then proven through years, like hundreds of years of cinema to create a dynamic performance that will honestly be over before it started and where people leave the theater wanting more. Mm -hmm. Now I got to ask, I ask this to a lot of magicians that go mm -hmm. on the show. Do you remember like any specific performance that stood out to you because of how funny it went or something like that, like a crowd reaction or? I was in Las Vegas. Yes, I do. The very first time I saw Mac King perform at Harrah's uh, Casino in the afternoon show in Las Vegas. And um, he, every time I go back to see his show, same show for probably 30 years, but there's always something that I didn't catch the first time. And for those who don't know Matt King's show, he's eating guinea pigs. He's putting rocks in his shoe. He has this whole show that, you know, it starts out as a bunch of random nonsense. And then toward the end, it's all cleverly scripted callbacks. And it's uh, a, a genius performance that he puts together. Um, and it was a hilarious moment where he brings this woman on stage and has her sign a card and he doesn't specify what side of the card she was supposed to have signed. So he's looking through and she signed the wrong card. He's like, wow, let me see if I can find your card. She had signed the back side. So it, it was, it was a funny moment that he, he made into gold for that audience. Mm -hmm. And later I realized after speaking with Mac that he builds that into his show as a, comedic moment it happened to him one night and he was able to kind of manipulate it to make it happen every time and then react just the same and every night in a show something different may happen and then being able to build something funny off of that to make it like okay how can i make that happen every time because that was such an amazing moment mm -hmm. have you ever done something like that have you ever had like one of those moments where like something may have not gone your way but then you quickly turn it around to make it go your way you know what i mean yeah so and I, I can think of a couple examples for sure, but I always believe that there's a point of no return where as a magician or as an entertainer, it becomes more important to the audience's experience for you to be human rather than superhuman. And what I mean by that is if something, if you make a mistake on stage or a trick doesn't go right and it, it just goes completely wrong and it's obvious that you go wrong, there's a point of no return where it's like, wow, that didn't work and you admit defeat almost. Mm -hmm. And I believe as an entertainer, it makes you more personable because now the audience is sharing in a truly unique experience that they know that they were just a part of. And I can think of a specific example where without giving too much away, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there is an effect in my show where a volunteer selects a card and, I, and I'm going to read the mind of that person and I draw their card on a sketch pad and I get the card wrong and it's a joke. And then I make their card rise out of the drawing and the drawing comes to life, you know, and their card is supposed to rise out of the card as a save. And I get the card right. Except one night I didn't get it right the second time. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, there's no way I can get out of this situation. So I tore the page off. I gave it to the person as a gift. And at that point I admitted defeat. I said, you know, this is something that's never happened before. And this is a unique experience that you'll get to keep this and remember that moment. And now folks are going to transition to another part of the show that I can't mess up. <laughs> I like how you make, I like how you're not one of those who like, kind of like that didn't go well. That didn't go. What do I do now? What do I do? You just go, Hey, I messed up. I made a mistake. There you go. Won't happen again. You know? 
Right. And yeah. it's being able to create that humanism with the audience, yeah. you know, and now that person will remember that show even more because yeah. I wasn't there trying to be, you know, trying to save my butt, but I made them look like the hero in a way mm -hmm. that, you know, they, they, they may have called me out indirectly. Like, yeah, I messed up. Mm -hmm. Everyone messes up. Yeah. It's part of being human. Exactly. You, know? you weren't one of those like snarky magicians who's like, I never make mistakes. That was planned, you know. Right. It's, it's like, no, everything can go wrong. And I've had it go wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. And my attitude toward it now, like, you know, as a kid, when starting out magic and doing the the technical side of hand stuff, you're always like really nervous, like, oh, am I gonna mess up? And then you mess up on stage and it's the end of the world, right? Mm -hmm. My attitude toward it now is like if I mess up on stage, all right, I know how to get out of it. How entertained am I gonna be on stage? Because it gets to the point where I can do my acts without thinking about it, the manipulation sleight of hand. And if I can do an act without thinking about it, if something happens that's not supposed to happen, oh, now I have to think about it. <laughs> and I have to think on my feet and how to recover. Um, I was in the finals for the International Brotherhood of Magicians uh, stage competition uh, representing the United States against, and I was against a woman from Japan. And um, she ended up winning the competition. I got second place. Uh, she had an amazing act, but part of the problem I had was in the finals of the competition, the second time I did my act, I, I dropped a ball, I made a mistake and it shot off stage. And I knew how to recover from that. But of course, the magician judges know what to look for. Mm -hmm. So I recovered from it, I, I made an extra ball appear and finished my routine. But you know, your heart rate spikes about that much, <laughs> you know, your heart rate goes way up as soon as something as that, like that happens, because now you have to think on your feet and create something that you haven't practiced but you've also practiced over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that competition you just mentioned. Yeah. So in 2019, I was um, selected to help represent the entire United States on stage at the IBM convention, which stands for the International Brotherhood of Magicians. It was hosted in Scottsdale, Arizona, and uh, they had magicians from all over the world competing. And what they do, you have to submit a video to be selected to perform in the prelims. And they select about 20 people to perform in the prelims of the competition. People from all over the world. We had Germany, we had France, we had China, we had Japan. And uh, after the first day of performance, the judges send you a scorecard. They, they score you based on performance excellence, music selection, technical ability, and you get a numeric score based on your total points. And the six competitors with the highest points move on to the finals, where now you have to do your act again, just like you did in the prelims and then get judged again by a different panel of judges who will then award um, the awards for that year. And they do a first and second place award for each category. And they have close up stage adult and then close up in stage for youth, people under 16, I believe. Hmm. And so in that year, 2019, I took second place in the world for um, IBM. And we didn't have a convention this year, so I guess I still have it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, speaking of COVID, I yeah. didn't mention this when I say those questions, but um, how do you think COVID has impacted like performing and, you know, do you, where do you see it going from here on out? Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, <laughs> I was, it was really hard at the beginning because like every entertainer, you know, you have 12, 12, 13, 14 months of work, just 24 hours cancel on you. <laughs> and it's like, what do you do from there? you have to be able to adapt. And I was really reluctant to move to the virtual format because my attitude was always, you know, oh, it's gonna be virtual. I'm not, it's not gonna be as good as my live show. 
But then I saw another magician perform a virtual show and I was actually inspired because it was such, it was a show that I forgot was virtual, which was interesting because of his interaction and the way he built his show around that. So instead of thinking of like, oh, my show isn't gonna be that good, my attitude has shifted to, all right, this is what it might be for a while. How good can I make it? How, how, how amazing of an experience can I make it? How much of myself can I put forth toward the camera? How much of my A material that I perform on stage can I convert to the virtual format so that I can give people the best show possible? But when it all started, when it cra everything crashed in March, I, I kind of crashed with it. I, I didn't quit magic, but I just stopped performing. I didn't do anything. I stopped practicing. I stopped working. Uh, I didn't really know what direction to go. I was still talking to all my magic friends and Sean Farquhar out of Canada shared a story with me because I, I spoke to him. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm losing direction. And he is the most optimistic person I know. And I'll share the story because it's out there. In the 80s, he had his apartment burned down and he lost almost everything. He, all his illusions, all his magic stuff. And uh, this was before he was a big name. So that was a lot. And, you know, he didn't have much to begin with. And he was sitting there, his hands had third degree burns all wrapped in mittens and, you know, being cared for. He's in oxygen. And the newscast comes up to him and they say, Sean, you just lost everything in your life. How do you feel? He looks at the camera and he says, well, you know, I think it's going to be the easiest move I've ever had. And it got me thinking like, Sean had just lost everything and his attitude was, now I have less stuff in my life. I have less stuff to move. This is great, you know? He had a way of seeing the best out of any situation. And I think that's a great way to look at it. And that's kind of a story that got me through the first few months of COVID. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm in a, a much better mindset at this point that I can, uh, you know, freely say, but that was really an, an inspiring moment, kind of an eye-opening moment at that point. Most definitely. I love your attitude on it. I love how you've adapted, like, you know, like most people, they're reluctant to do stuff because they're afraid of this, or it's just, it's not the same. But right. when you looked at it and went, hey, I like this. I can do this. I can, you know, I can incorporate this. I can go off what this person's doing and build into that. That's what more people need today. Like I know comedians who, you know, I'm a practicing comedian myself, and I know ones who like just don't want to do virtual shows because, oh, they can get recorded. And then it's like, what do you what are you performing for? Cause then like someone can show it to the comedy club and you know, they don't, why do we, why do we need to pay the real guy or something like that? But there are some that actually do it. You know, me and me and our buddy Chris, you know, as we were talking before the show, do a comedy and magic show yeah. um, every once in a while. And, you know, I love it. I just, it gets me, it's that thing that I can do outside of work and everything. So I love the attitude. Thanks, yeah. And it's, it's it's taken a while to change the mindset. And I've had a lot of people along the way help, mm -hmm. but you know, as an artist, and you understand this as well, it's so important to keep your chops and keep performing. And I was reluctant too because yeah, someone could record my material and put it up, and then mm -hmm. I kind of realized like my material is already on YouTube. I've uploaded mm -hmm. I've uploaded a lot of my material. People, and that's like saying like. If you're going to go to a concert or if you're going to listen to music on Spotify or if you're going to listen to anyone's music, why see them in person? Yeah, exactly. You know? a comedy, as you know, comedy is contagious. That's why comedy clubs pack each other in. Because when the person next to you is laughing, you're going to laugh too. Mm -hmm. And it's a different experience being in a live theater. Yeah, you can watch someone on TV, but you're probably going to 
breathe a little bit harder in your living room watching it by yourself. But when you're yeah. in a theater watching a show, your your abs are going to be looking so good the next morning because you laughed so hard that night. <laughs> yep. You know, uh, and you understand that uh, as a yeah. comedian, I'm sure, because yeah. you I know you have a lot of content out. You're putting content out all the time with this podcast and you're mm -hmm. you're constantly creating content. And especially mm -hmm. in this technology driven day and age, content is king. So yes. especially for those entertainers who are reluctant to get out there, this is the perfect time to create new content and try things out on the camera. Every, you know, everyone is stuck at home on Zoom right now. This is the perfect time to reach an audience that you never had an opportunity to reach. I grew up in Washington. I'm in California now. And for the first time in like four years, I can do shows for people at home who used to watch my show as a kid. And that's, that's great. And people who wouldn't otherwise, because of the current situation, be able to leave their homes. So um, I think by putting out content digitally, it makes people want to see you live in person that much more. Yes. And even nowadays, you know, you put out more content, like you mentioned, people are going to remember those good times. People are going to look yeah. back and go, I remember seeing him at this comedy club, or I remember seeing you perform somewhere. I can't wait till things open up again so I can go back and see them again. Definitely. You know? So, but uh, let me tell, you know, um, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Who are some like of your magician role models, people that you really looked up to or, you know, grew up and you love to watch, you love to like any chance you've got, you know? Mm -hmm. So the first magician I ever saw at the library, his name was Sterling Dietz. And he was the uh, world teen champion of magic back in, I think 2008 is when he won that competition, 2006 or 2008. And he was the first magician I ever saw. So you're always super inspired by that person. And um, later when I grew up, when I got a little bit older, when I was about 12 years old, I reached out to him and he helped kind of give me some direction when I was starting putting together my first shows as uh, when I was thinking this was something I wanted to pursue. And around the same time, I realized uh, he had the same teacher that I wanted to study under. Um, and he was a student of Jeff McBride. And he was actually a prodigy student of Jeff McBride, who Sterling's, his story was he started magic uh, when he was like 14 years old. And, you know, 18 months later, he won the world championship because of Jeff McBride's tutelage and, and his and Sterling's dedication to learning magic. And so I wanted to study under this Jeff McBride person. So I got in touch with Jeff and attended one of his master classes. And then he took me under as one of his private students. So I, I talked to Jeff, oh, probably once a week, if not that. Um, and then most recently, uh, David Da Vinci is another uh, phenomenal entertainer. He's a cruise ship entertainer, and then he does fundraiser shows. And then he and his wife also, also run a, uh, a parrot training company uh, known as Bird Tricks. And they're the leading experts right now. Uh, for bird trainings, bird training. That's uh, Dave and Jamie Womack, and they are on YouTube as Bird Tricks. But Dave has such a great outlook on life. He is really someone who helped kind of either if I was down in the dumps or whatever. He's like, hey, no, get together. You're going running right now. This is something you're doing. We are gonna get you back on track. And he's always been there. And then we have a a group chat. We talk every single day. Dave, uh, Michael Tricks, Bill Cook, and another guy. His name is Oscar. And we um, participate in this lifestyle program created by entrepreneur Andy Frisella called 75 Hard, which I can get into a little bit later if you want to. But yeah. it's a, a mental toughness lifestyle program that we've been working on for the past two years. And it's uh, something that 
uh, kind of creates this both an entrepreneurship mindset and also a just a a lifestyle mindset that helps elevate you and create this sense of ruggedness in your life. So these are uh, my support system and these people who have I look up to every single day and these people who can always pull me up if I need if I need that or put me in my place if I need that too. Mm-hmm. You kind of answered my next question there about like who have you performed with, like notable people you performed with. Mm-hmm. Are there others that you like can hang your head up saying I've per- I've been on stage with this person? Yeah. So as part of the uh, IBM uh, convention in 2019, I was on stage with Lance Burton, who uh, is now retired. He retired in 2010, but uh, he was kind of the David Copperfield of Vegas before David Copperfield. And he had his own theater in the Monte Carlo, uh, performed over 15,000 shows on the Las Vegas Strip uh, and had an amazing history. And he's still uh, he's still a legend. He still lives in Las Vegas and he's a good friend. Uh, and then working at the Magic Castle in Hollywood, every time I would perform there, I had the opportunity to meet all these legends that I look up to. Uh, Fielding West is another person. Uh, Sean Farquhar is a good friend of mine who lives in Canada, who I mentioned earlier. And uh, Larry Wilson and all these people who I've uh, grown up watching as a kid. And I can finally work with them on stage at the Magic Castle. Joseph Gabriel, Mark Benick, um, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. And uh, Jody Barron is another person who I've uh, worked with. And these people who I may have had brief interactions with, and they don't know it, but even though their interaction was brief, uh, they made such an impression. And then every time I go to the castle, I love speaking with Jack Goldfinger. He is the entertainment producer and director at the Magic Castle. And um, he speaks what we call Jackanese. He has this amazing outlook on life and always these uh, these funny phrases on how to make just your day a little bit better. Nice. Nice. You always need people like that in life, you know? 100%. 100%. Yep. So what about some notable places that you've performed at? Mm-hmm. So uh, I've performed all over the United States, and I'm waiting to see, but obviously we can't right now. But um, the Magic Castle in Hollywood, I headlined the uh, Wonderground Nightclub in Las Vegas last summer, right before I represented at the um, International Brotherhood of Magicians in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, St. Louis, I've also performed some fundraisers and some corporate shows in Wyoming. And then I've kind of owned the Pacific Coast going up and down. Uh, and also I've uh, kind of owned the market in my town of San Luis Obispo in, um, um, as I'm a college student as well. So I attend college and then I was uh, building my market in San Luis Obispo performing as like as much as I can every weekend. Uh, and then international competitions and conventions up in Canada, uh, where I have a lot of friends who reside there. And then um, Seattle area, and so companies like Starbucks and Boeing, I've worked for uh, f- producing fundraisers and also being able to give back through programs like that, for example, the Relay for Life, so. Nice, you're mentioning a lot of charities here. One mm-hmm. thing I always ask my buddies who come on this show is if you could have our audience donate to one charity of your choice, what would it be and why? Yeah, so um, I have a couple that I, I love to work for. The first person uh, that I go to would be the Seattle Children's Hospital. Uh, two years ago, we produced a fundraiser show. Um, I, I was producing a fundraiser programs uh, where basically if they promote the show and they, they get the show going, we use corporate sponsors to cover all the expenses and they keep 100% of the ticket sales. And I think in one night in my hometown, we sold out both shows and made like uh, $6,000 for the Seattle Children's Hospital, which is an amazing donation for them. Uh, so, and then down here we have the Miracle Children's Hospital Network, which I've worked for through Cal Poly, my, uh, my university. 
and they put on the the Cal Poly Dance Marathon where I've uh, performed as well. And they uh, they do fundraisers for the uh, Children's Hospital Network down here. Beautiful. I love those antiques. Mm. So, what about? Um, I always ask this other. Let me ask you this first. I almost forgot about this. What yeah. about that show that you mentioned, the Seventy Five Hard? Yeah. Tell us about that. So, Seventy Five Hard uh, was created. It's it's not a challenge. It's not like a uh, it's not like a fad challenge or a fad diet. Um, system or anything like that. It was created by an entrepreneur named Andy Fursella, who, if you look him up, he is one of the most successful entrepreneurs uh, in the world. He owns seven companies and successfully runs seven companies, uh, multimillionaire. And uh, he created this program because people were asking him, you know, what does it take to be successful? What does it take to be happy? Because people look at him and he's like the image of happiness and for what they see on the outside. And he created this program called 75 hard, which you do over 75 consecutive days. And there's five things you need to do every day to uh, complete your daily tasks for 75 hard. It's two 45 minute workouts, one of which has to be outside. doesn't matter what the weather is or what the conditions are, has to be outside. Uh, you have to follow a nutrition plan, whatever that is for you, follow a nutrition plan. You have to drink a gallon of water every day. You have to take a progress picture every day and you have to read 10 pages of a nonfiction um, uh, entrepreneurship based or um, life based book. And this is something you, you have all day to complete. And um, the whole point of 75 hard is to build resilience and fortitude and grit within your lifestyle in order to apply that to every other part of your life. Because if you wanna create, his whole point is if you wanna create happiness, you have to be the one to do that for yourself. Nobody owes you anything. So the person who has to be able to create happiness for you is yourself and you have to be accountable for that. And I learned that the hard way when COVID happened. And this is where Dave and Michael and Bill and Oscar were there to pick me up. And our, our, we have a group chat called the Sorcerer Syndicate uh, because we're all magicians except for Oscar. He's um, a guy that Dave met on Instagram who was following 75, 75 hard too as well. And he has an amazing story. Go follow Instagram, uh, ain't, ain't no stop in Oscar, I believe is his handle, but he has an amazing story anyway. Um, we started 75 hard as a part, as a way to build happiness within our lives and teach ourselves how to create ourselves and make happiness uh, for ourselves. Mainly because I, when COVID first hit, it seemed like everything was falling apart at once. You know, I had um, all my shows canceled, college went all online. My parents were uh, kind of, you know, isolating themselves in Northern California. I was in Southern California. I went through a gnarly breakup and I was just in a really weird mental space. And um, it was really that, those, those guys who got me back on track and got me where I needed to be to realize that I'm the one who's accountable for my own happiness. Because when things that made me happy because of other people started randomly just kind of taking themselves off my daily list, I wasn't left with a lot. Uh, and I found myself in a really weird headspace. So at this point, I've been able to create that mental fortitude with the help of these friends to basically build up my attitude so that like, I'm the only one, I'm the one who's control in control of what makes me happy. It shouldn't be anyone else's responsibility. Beautiful, I love that answer. That's the answer that people need today, you know? Totally. Just that, that your happiness isn't dependent on, you know, like your significant other, or like your, you know, like the status of 
you know, a hobby that you like to do that's now canceled, you know? Right. It's you, it's like, it's you finding those things. Like I've taken walks during COVID, like around my neighborhood. Oh yeah. You just oh, have all the time. Walks are great. Yeah. To just clear my head and just think to myself, listen to music, enjoy the scenery, get mm -hmm. some air rather than stay cooked up all day going, what am I going to do? 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 So, and that's how BuddyCast was created, you know? Right. I, you know, I just wanted something like, this is my project. This is something that I do to, you know, I got the time now. I've got the, you know, I've got the captive audience because half the people that I've interviewed are stuck home. You know, performers mm -hmm. are stuck here. Performers are, you know, they're not, well, I can schedule in for the 15th of March of next year because that's the next free time I'll see. They're like, right. Nothing going on, which, you know, when can we jump on? So, in a totally. good way, they're all starting to pick up again, you know? Mm -hmm. It's definitely because, and, Magic connects to this so well because I think if magic reminds us of anything, it's that all things are subject to change. Mm -hmm. And you know, magic is a great reminder of that, and people need constantly need that reminder. And yeah. it hit hard for everyone back in March. And you know, we're we're still kind of trying to adapt and see to ease our way back into what we think is normal. But even when things go back to what they were in March, if they do, whenever that may be. I don't think the virtual format for shows is going to go away at all mm -hmm. because from this, a lot of companies are realizing that, you know, maybe we don't need office space or, and, uh, and people are realizing, Oh, we don't need to fly in an entertainer. We can just have them commute over the, over the camera. And the beautiful thing for entertainers now is when everything opens up, if I have a corporation or a company that wants to book me in Idaho and I have another show that same day in California, I can do one or the other virtually and still be able to please each audience in, in essence, be in two places at once, mm -hmm. you know? And when you think about it, I am so glad that, I mean, no one can really be glad about the shutdown, but if you yeah. think about it this way, I'm so glad that it happened in 2020 when we have the technology that's good enough to stream in such high quality and where the internet can be high quality enough where we are, that we're not constantly cutting in and out. If this happened back in 2004, there'd be a, it'd be a different a completely different story you know everyone would have would have skipped a year of school and would just take a year longer to graduate you and me would have been uh communicating not through facebook but through the aol messenger remember oh, that yeah yeah we'd, we'd be sending telegrams you know <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly mailer so, pigeons yep let me ask you this now mm -hmm. um when your own words what does it mean to be someone's buddy being someone's buddy is being there for them whenever they need it, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, but because they're your friend and because they are willing to put themselves on the same level as you in order to bring that person up. You know, if without the buddies in my life back in March, April, May, June, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be in the headspace that I am in today. You know, I have this group of people that I mentioned that I, we talk every single day. We keep each other accountable. It's not always nice. We always make fun of each other. We always rip on each other. But that's what a good friendship is, too. Mm -hmm. We are there to keep each other accountable and keep each other on track in the short term so that in the long term we can achieve incredible success. I love it. I love it. Now I'm going to ask you one more question, and then we're going to go on to your performance. Yeah. This is what I call the ultimate buddy, cast buddy question. You ready? Okay. I'm ready. What is your advice for anyone out there who wants to be a magician? Ooh, I would say reach out, reach out to anybody 
the thing with the magic community is everyone is very accessible. I mentioned Lance Burton. I could call Lance Burton right now and he'd answer. I could call Jeff McBride right now and he'd answer. I can't call David Copperfield, but I know who to call to get a hold of David Copperfield. <laughs> everyone is very accessible in the magic community. And most of the times they are more than willing to help. And if you have questions, I was on for three hours today with um, another member of the Magic Castle who's, uh, I think he's 16 or no, he's a senior in high school. So he's like 17 or 18. And I just met him today and he sent me a video and he's like, hey, can you help me? I'm like, yeah, I have time today. I was on with him for, on Zoom for three hours helping put his act together and help him polish his act because it's what I love doing. You know, I love talking about magic. If anyone wants to hit me up and talk about magic, I'm feel, you know, anyone who reaches out, they want to be a magician, I'll help you in any way that I can. I love that. I love that. It's all about mentoring, you know, and it's all about being, like you said, being that buddy, being that, hey, you want to learn magic? I mean, let me help you. Rather than, well, if I teach you, then one day you're going to overpower me and I'm going to lose everything because they're going to see, like, you, you know, you're not one of those people. No, so. I, I've learned my attitude with it is if I'm losing work to another entertainer, that means I'm not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. There's no, and you'll hear, there's two kinds of magicians and there's more of one kind, but <laughs> those who, uh, I'm an open book with, I'll tell people anything they need to know about the business side because I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have people helping me. Um, I learned from people who had been where, have been in my shoes and have been where I am. And that's why like, I always want to surround myself with people who are where I want to be. That's why I hang out with Dave DaVinci and Bill Cook and Michael Tricks and Oscar because they inspire me in such a way that I want to be just like Dave is when I'm older because he has the lifestyle that I so desire. And he has the he has the freedom to do whatever he wants. Um, he's getting me into skydiving because it's it's a it's a it's a way to be free and it's a way to let go of everything and it's and it's great. So I think I think that's the best way. Mm -hmm. How's that going by the way? It's great. Skydiving. It's it's great. I've uh, taken a break since I'm back in California now, and things are still kind of weird. But uh, over the summer, I got some good jumps in, started the training for uh, solo skydiving. So I'm continuing that. And then uh, Dave is a, a wingsuit pilot, so he has been he's been kicking it, and he won't let me end the conversation with him without trying to schedule another jump. So uh, it's something I love doing, and I can't wait to do more. That's awesome. Alrighty, you know what? I think we got to close the show on a high note. I think we need a performance from you. Yeah, man. Well, I'm so ready for this performance. I would like to tell a story, actually. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about where I grew up. See, I grew up in a small island community off the coast of Seattle. Few may know it, but I grew up in Anacortes, Washington. For those who don't know Anacortes, it's a town of about 16,000 people. The average age is about <laughs> 70. And the main export of the town is rope. But it's home and it'll always be home. It doesn't mm -hmm. sound like much. And what's cool about living on the island, Nick, is that I learned how to operate a vehicle at just 10 years old. 10 years old. Tell you what, I'm going to show you the vehicle I first learned how to drive. Here we go.
That's weird. Let me explain, Nick. See, like Ford or Chevy is for your car, Hunter is a model of a sailboat, and Elliot is a bay in the Puget Sound. My name is Elliot Hunter because in 1998, my father purchased his Hunter sailboat in Elliot Bay, and he had a kid. I'm named after a sailboat, and I wouldn't change that for the world. That's awesome. That's awesome. Making this sailboat appear out of thin air and be the story behind it. That's perfect. That's perfect. I love it. My parents also own a boat, so I can relate, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a big hole in the uh, in the water where you just chuck money. Yep, pretty much. My dad would tell you that for sure, you know? Yeah. Every week. Let's go clean the boat again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love sailing. It's one of my it's one of my favorite things to do. Oh yeah. You ever go fishing? Do anything like that? A little bit. I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those things skydiving where you can just let everything go, you know. <laughs> exactly. It's great when you catch a fish though. Oh, absolutely. Best feeling <laughs> in the world. Dinner tonight, sweet. Exactly. Oh, crabbing's fun. Crabbing's fun because you just put the thing away, go boating for an hour, come back and pick it up. Yes. And my uncle said it best. A good, a bad day of fishing is better than a good day at the office. You know? 100%. You know, that's a great way to look at that too. Yep. Most definitely. All righty. Well, thank you so much for being a buddy here on BuddyCast. Thanks for having me. It was truly amazing. We'll have to have you you on one of our virtual shows that me and Chris do. Love to. Yeah. And like you said, any friend of Chris is a friend of mine. So you and me are buddies now. Yes, most definitely. Chris is my magic consultant on this thing. So anyone that reaches out to me, hey, do you know this guy by chance? Yep, he's a good head. Don't worry about him. He's a good (laughs) buddy cast. Thank you. (laughs) Chris is a great guy. You got a great consultant on your hands. Keep him. Yeah, most definitely. And he's a great pal too, just a great friend in general. Just someone who's always nice and caring, always, you know, checking in on you and making sure everything's going well. And he's one yeah, of the- I, and it's great with him. I can pick up where, you know, we can not speak for a couple months and we just pick up where we left off. And exactly. And, and those those are the great those are great kind of people to have in your life because hey, we get busy throughout the day. So, you know, yeah. people like Chris are are they are good people. Yes, most definitely. All righty, man. Well, thanks again for being a buddy here on BuddyCast. For all my Thank buddies out there, this is my new buddy, Elliot Hunter. Thank you and again. This is my buddy, Nick Thornson. Yep. And as I always end all of my shows, just do me one favor tonight. Go be someone's buddy. We'll catch you next time here on BuddyCast. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>